And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. Hello everyone and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I would like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. And we have a good show for you today. We are taking a look at a uh, another independent project, not a comic this time, but instead the second independent uh, film from Shinpei Hayashiya. We are taking a look at the follow-up to Rago, King of the Sea Monsters, which is Raiga, God of the Monsters. So, very eager to take a look at that one. I've had it in my collection for a while, but uh, finally time to, to watch it and give some thoughts. Uh, but before we get into that, we do have some news to cover, so let's get right into it. Up first, Godzilla vs. Kong, a certified box office hit, uh, opened domestically with $31.6 million. That is the biggest opening during the COVID-19 period. As of recording, its domestic draw is sitting right at $95 million, which is also the largest uh, for uh, domestic United States uh, box office total during this period. Uh, internationally, it uh, drew about $332 million at the same time, so it is sitting above $427 million worldwide, which... This is the incredible part. That is more, during a pandemic, that is more than King of the Monsters earned worldwide, which was $386 million. So the uh, the box office mojo uh, right now is showing that Godzilla vs. Kong, this is the highest of the series for international gross. And you're going to ask, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, we're not really sure what that means because we're not sure how much any of this is going to mean in the long run other than this film has performed better than the previous film in the series and uh, during what was arguably one of the hardest times for films to be released to theaters you know i've seen a lot of think pieces on this godzilla versus kong hitting at the right time uh, as vaccines were starting to become more plentiful people were more uh, okay with going out into a theater uh you know restrictions being loosened a little bit in a lot of a lot of areas especially here in the states and just the film itself being what people wanted to see something escapist something that took them away from reality for uh, for 2 hours so i mean you know and and you can make arguments well the the higher international gross means that the studio is making less money because a lot of that is how many cents on the dollar they're making per ticket sold in markets like the united states versus china and all of that is is very inside baseball stuff the bottom line for me as a fan is that the film is succeeded uh, at the box office. It did better than the film that came before it in a harder situation, and I'm uh, very happy to see the film be financially successful. And uh, I'm eager to watch it again, as I always am, and if you're eager to watch it again, it's not on HBO Max anymore, but Godzilla vs. Kong is coming to home media very soon. It is scheduled for a June 15th release. 
That's right before my birthday, so good timing there. Uh, available right now, DVD, Blu-ray, 3D Blu-ray, 4K. You can find these pre-orders up at all the usual spots. Uh, I typically pre-order from Amazon. Um, and, uh, you know, th- there's a list of different special features on the different versions. Uh, I went with the Blu-ray combo pack. That's uh, where I'm at. I don't have a 4K uh, system, so I go with the Blu-ray. That's what I have the other three films in the MonsterVerse on. Now, also coming out on that day is a collection on Blu-ray of Kong Skull Island, King of the Monsters, and Godzilla vs. Kong. So if you've missed out on the last few, you can grab that set and do kind of a one-stop shop situation. Now, we have also seen pictures of a MonsterVerse 4-pack of a set of all four of them on a Blu-ray combo, but I can't find this on Amazon. I I've, I've did some digging around. I've seen that image a few places of the uh, Warner Collection type um, label with the four uh, uh, films shown on the front. I cannot find that for pre-order right now. I know one of my friends was asking me if they were going to do a four set, and it would make sense to do a four pack of those films like that, but it's not on Amazon at the time of recording. I will keep my eye out and see if you can see that for anyone who maybe wants to just get you know one slot on their uh, on their movie shelf to have all four of the MonsterVerse uh, films. But uh, definitely eager to get this one on home media and uh, eager to watch it again. Like I said I, I watched it in the theater, watched it at home a couple of times on HBO Max, and uh, <laughs> it just it just brings a smile to my face just thinking about it. You know, may, maybe I'm just more prone, and that's okay. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, the new Ultraman series has been revealed, and the title is Ultraman Trigger, and its secondary title is New Generation Tiga. Now, this series celebrates the 25th anniversary of Ultraman Tiga, which you may recall uh, is the first series in the Heisei era of the Ultraman franchise, was uh, dubbed <laughs> dubbed in a very uh, not so respectful way and aired on Fox in the uh, in the early 2000s uh, but uh, this series Ultraman Trigger it debuts on TV Tokyo in July July 10th now unfortunately it's unclear at this time if it will stream on YouTube like Ultraman Z has here in the West. I can say that I have read several articles saying that Ultraman Z being on YouTube has actually been a very big hit. This is what led to Subaraya re-releasing the show on YouTube, and in fact leaving the episodes up a bit longer, I believe, because my, my kids and I have been watching Ultraman Z on YouTube now, and we're following along week to week. Pretty much every Sunday morning, we sit down to watch Ultraman Z before breakfast. I would very much like to see Trigger released this way. Obviously, from a selfish standpoint, it means that I can see it, and my kids can see it, and we don't have to, uh, you know, YouTube is a free service, obviously. Secondly, I just would like to see Subaraya continue to reach out to Western audiences like this. Uh, you know, I have been purchasing every Mill Creek Ultraman series set that they have released. I look forward to continue to doing that. And I I just really hope that this outreach continues and we continue to get more Ultraman and other Subaraya content here in the West because I, I have very much enjoyed being able to get this stuff legally and in good quality too. That's the other thing. As you know, we're talking about Mill Creek. Well, they're very cheap. It's like, and they are cheap, but they think they put out a quality product and I don't like to call them cheap. I just say they're budget friendly. Right. That's the we got to be diplomatic about these things. So more information on that as uh, as we get closer to July. As I said, hopefully we'll be able to watch Trigger on YouTube. And meanwhile, I'm just enjoying the heck out of Ultraman Z. Uh, it's just a, a lot of fun and uh, starting starting to get a little little deep. 
little deep about midway through the series here, I'm not going to lie. Maybe we'll talk about Ultraman Zet sometime in the future. Now, in other streaming news, the anime Godzilla Singular Point debuts on Netflix globally June 24th, including here in the United States. Now, this series is getting a ton of buzz online, both positive and negative. So I guess in June, we'll all be able to make up our own minds on it. I, I, some of the uh, other Daikaiju fans that I, uh, I you know, chat with online have, have been watching it uh, from the, where it's been airing in Japan and have various opinions. I've tried to kind of stay away from that. I want to Go in as fresh as I can. It's been kind of hard to avoid some of the the images and character designs for it because it's been because all over social media. I I don't really know what to expect. You know, I uh, I have to admit that I was uh, the last anime based on a tokusatsu I watched was SSS dot SSSS dot Gridman, and I really enjoyed that. And in fact, I, I probably need to start uh, seeking out SSSS.Dynazenon, which is a follow up to that. Um, but, uh, you know, that anime and monsters, sometimes it, it works better than others sometimes, I think. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm very eager to watch Singular Point and form my own opinions. And I, and I hope everybody out there listening, uh, will watch and form their own opinions as well. So again, more on that, uh, once the series, uh, debuts on Netflix here in the States. And, uh, finally, one last item, uh, the, uh, a new art book. The Godzilla art of Yuji Kaida, which is the first English language art book from noted uh, Daikaiju artist Yuji Kaida. It is coming out in October from Titan Books. It is a 128-page softcover and uh, is supposed to feature lots and lots and lots of his giant monster artwork. I, I'm sort of familiar with Yuji Kaida. I, 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 I'm sure I know his art more so than his name. I, I'll, I'll readily admit artists and stuff like that is not necessarily one of my strong suits. You know, the, the cliche is, you know, I don't know art, but I know what I like. Um, but from what I've seen of, of the previews of this book, it looks really, really good. I've got this pre-ordered. It's, it's up on Amazon. Uh, so take a look at that, and this might be something to add to your, your Daikaiju library, something to, you know, flip through and ogle over. Hat tip to my brother Jason, who passed this one along to me. And uh, I do appreciate that, because always looking for more, uh, more Daikaiju books for the shelf. If you have any news that you think would be uh, of interest to the listeners here on Earth Destruction Directive, you can go ahead and send it in, Directive at yahoo.com. You can also uh, tag me on Facebook or Twitter with that information, and I will be sure to give you credit here on the show. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to get into Raiga, God of the Monsters, right here on Earth Destruction Directive. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. 
Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. Okay, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Deep Sea Monster Raiga was released on home media in the U.S. as Raiga, God of the Monsters, was released in Japanese theaters on August 15, 2009. Now, it did not get a U.S. release until 2019, when SRS Cinema released it on special edition Blu-ray and VHS, as well as on a uh, wide release on DVD. Our writer and director is Shinpei Hayashiya, best known for his fan film Gamera 4 Truth, as well as this film's predecessor, Rago, King of the Sea Monsters, and uh, you can flip back to Earth Destruction Directive episode 79 to hear about that one. Uh, then the effects are done by Shoichi Kokumai. The only credits I could find for him were he was the director, writer, and special effects on the uh, film Replicant Eve from 2014, which I am not familiar with with uh you know Haishia, you know is an independent filmmaker so a lot of this is done uh you know just with with what they can pull together and, and that kind of stuff so not a lot of major credits so we're going to get into the synopsis the synopsis has been adapted from wikizilla and our story goes a little something like this a school of bonefish awakens the enormous sea monster raiga after he feeds on them a giant devil bonefish confronts him biting his throat Raiga calls down lightning, killing his adversary and destroying a nearby tanker. Surviving bonefish then attack a fishing boat. In Tokyo, unlicensed street vendor Hajame Ito and his three daughters Matsuri, Hibari, and Akari discuss his late wife. He insists he's been faithful to her memory, but they are skeptical. Later that night, as Hajime and his friends walk home, they watch lightning strike a beer cafe. Meanwhile, at the Deep Sea Marine Life Research Int Center, a captured bonefish revives and kills a professor. That night, Raiga destroys a cargo ship in Tokyo Bay. At the Taito Defense Force Underground Headquarters, Commander Kido takes charge of the operation to destroy Raiga. As tanks would be held up by rush hour traffic, he dispatches fighter jets as the first line of defense instead. Raiga makes landfall, sending the Ashai flame statue crashing down in front of Hajime and his friends. While the jet's cannons wound Raiga, his lightning shoots one down. They switch to missiles, indiscriminately firing them into the city. Nevertheless, enough managed to hit Raiga to force him to retreat. Two months later, Hajime and his daughters are doing steady business selling unlicensed Raiga t-shirts. Later, bonefish leap out of the Sumiga River and attack two of Hajime's friends as they walk home. While discussing the killings, a Rakugo performer divulges that his father served on the Yamato during World War II when it battled another sea monster, Rago. He notes that Raiga avoided destroying temples during his rampage. Raiga returns, derailing a train. Hajime is elated, seeing another money-making opportunity. Commander Kido plans to land the killing blow against Raiga with cluster bombs, though the politicians fear a public outcry. Tanks shell Raiga. He retaliates with the bolts of red energy from his hands. Hajime sends his daughters to a hotel while he and his friends patrol Benten Shrine, though his daughters suspect he's more interested in Madame Masumi Benten instead of the shrine. 
An oversized tank named Kamikaze joins the fight, but Raiga destroys it after dodging its attacks. After taking shelter, Hajime blurts out Masumi's name while mourning the destruction of the city, earning his daughter's ire. The JSDF intensifies its attack on Raiga, toppling him with a stealth fighter dropping cluster bombs. Suddenly, a second Raiga appears, shooting down the bombs and every aircraft in the sky. Kido calls for an all-out attack no matter the casualties, but the politicians overrule him, optimistic that the two monsters will return to the sea. Instead, they do battle, devastating the Azakusa district with a beam lock. The newcomer is victorious and <clears throat> marks his territory before departing. Hajime, his daughters, and his friends survey the ruins of Azakasa the next day. The men conclude that the monster attacked to deliver a lesson about global warming, although the sisters are skeptical. They all resolve to hold a festival to honor the dead. Well, that was certainly different, wasn't it? I knew that Raigo was a comedy, but I honestly did not foresee it being this much of a comedy. And even beyond that, it is a very Japanese type of broad comedy, which is not common here in the West. And I think that leads to some of the uh, awkwardness here. Let's get into the notes. Our film is set in Azukasa, a district of Tokyo, which is known for having the atmosphere of an older time period. It's best known for the Sensoji, a popular Buddhist temple. Uh, Azakasa now also used to be one of Tokyo's leading entertainment areas, but much of the district was actually destroyed during the war. But, you know, today it still hosts attractions such as Rakugo Theaters, which is the main connection here to Raiga. Uh, Rakugo is a form of Japanese verbal entertainment uh, known as yose. Now, Rakugo is characterized by a single storyteller sitting on the stage telling an involved humorous tale, typically playing more than one character. And uh, they do this either by a tilt of the head or a slight change of their voice. We see a little clip of a Rakuga in the film, and Hayashiya himself has also performed as one. Now, to me, this explains the entire film, as Raiga is essentially one long joke, seemingly a daikaiju movie, but actually an attempt at a send-up of the genre with a punchline at the end, which is part of the, the format of the Rakugo uh, traditional uh, performance. Uh, now, with this very Japanese type of comedy as a centerpiece, it becomes more of a challenge to translate for a Western audience, I think. Uh, some of the comedy works. For instance, when Hajime and his friends are caught in the battle between the JSDF and Raiga, all of them bemoan that they will miss their favorite fast food rather than, you know, their families. Similarly, Raiga dodging the hyper-A-bombs <laughs> that were fired by the big kamikaze tank. That legitimately made me laugh. Some of it, though, especially the interactions between Hajime and his daughters, it seems to have been lost in translation. Um, I mean, it, there's there's some of it. They talk about one of the daughters wanting to be an idol, and he's making references, oh, you could be an idol here, but not an idol there. And, and I think some of it's a little bit too local to, to really translate well. The final punchline with the second Raiga marking his territory, literally bending over and peeing all over the place, to me was more of a are-you-serious moment than anything else. We do get a couple of referential gags, which made me smile as well. At one point, Hajime and his daughters are eating tapenyaki, which reminded me of a very similar scene in Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. 
Taishia, of course, being a big fan of the Heisei Gamera, I, I want to think that this is intentional, but I suppose it could just be a coincidence. But that's what it made me think of. Now, in this scene, uh, on the wall, there is a Rego poster, which is a nice touch. Uh, I always love seeing uh, you know, little touches like that. So, uh, obviously, uh, that story that the other performer was telling was popular enough that they, uh, they made a movie out of it a few years earlier. Uh, now, later, when the couple is attacked by the bonefish, one of the woman's shoes is left behind of the, as the only evidence. Now, of course, to me, this brings to mind the similar scene from Rodan in 1956 with the young couple that was going on their honeymoon, and we find her shoe as one of the pieces of evidence of Rodan. Now, the effects, those are kind of the main drawing board, I think, to a lot of uh, Western Daikaiju fans that are, that are picking this up. And the effects, kind of like the first one, they're not super polished. But considering the film's independent origins and budget, I think they look quite nice. The monster effects, in general, are, are well done. Raiga himself is, is well designed and executed. He's got a very similar sort of shape to Godzilla. He's that familiar type of bipedal reptilian monster, but there's enough different about him to make him unique, and he has some unique attacks with the calling down lightning and such, but he's well done. Um, similarly, the bonefish making their return from Rago, they're well-designed puppets. I think that they, they worked good in the first movie, and they, they look pretty good here, again, considering the, the inherent challenges of doing a, a marionette type of monster, especially at that scale where it's interacting with humans. Um, now, the, the JSEF equipment, again, lacks polish, but it's certainly acceptable for the model shots, and there's a little bit of comp- like digital compos- um, compositing there. The, the part that really leaves me cold, all told, of all the effects are the CGI building destruction scenes. I understand the idea here. It's expensive to build models just to destroy them. It's cheaper to build models and then remove them and digitally re- uh, you know, replace them with a CGI destruction. It just doesn't do anything for me. You know, one of the conceits uh, a lot in, uh, in, in especially Japanese science fiction is the idea of the arresting visual image, not necessarily something that looks realistic, but something that looks, um, you know, engages the brain. And unfortunately, it just kind of takes me out of it when I see the uh, CGI buildings being destroyed, as opposed to the other effects, which even when, you know, they're not at the level that you would see in a Toho or Dai production, especially by this era, uh, they, they still, they still bring a smile to my face and I still appreciate them. The buildings just doesn't really do it for me. Now, one of my favorite shots in the movie, it's a far shot of Raiga wading his way through the burning city. It's very nicely composed and composited, several different elements all coming together. And in that case, the CG works pretty well to do the, the large burning city, I guess because it's far enough away uh, that we don't see a lot of the, the, the really fine detail in it, and it looks quite nice. Now, all told, Raiga is an interesting take on the Daikaiju genre, blending traditional effects with a very Japanese comedy style. Personally, I found the film amusing for the most part, even if I knew that some of it was going right over my head. But broad Japanese comedies is alright with me. Not every viewer will feel this way. You know, I've, I've watched enough Super Sentai and Kamen Rider and even a little bit Ultraman that, that plays on a broad type of Japanese comedy. So I'm a little bit more, uh, I guess, on board with it. I do know some, uh, some viewers have really really turned been turned off by this movie because of that and that's okay you know I, I, I can understand where they're coming from 
Um, here in the U.S., the marketing for the film did not help. The serious title that it is, uh, it, that's, uh, it's applied to it, God of the Monsters, coupled with the cover art, it definitely gives the impression of a straight kaiju movie. I, I can see how getting a comedy instead would turn off viewers if they're getting this movie that they think is like a... Uh, I've seen people assume that this is an asylum movie or something similar, that it's a, a mockbuster of, um, in, in this case, of Godzilla King of the Monsters, same as it was with, uh, with Rago. Um, and, and that belies, of course, the actual origins of the film. But I can see if you're expecting that and instead getting this film, this, this very unusual Japanese comedy, that that would definitely be a, uh, a turnoff for you on, the, uh, on, on that as a viewer if you're coming in cold. Um, bottom line, Raiga God of the Monsters, it's a film for daikaiju enthusiasts. It's not really for general audiences or more casual fans. The special effects are, are well done for the budget. Uh, I, there's that, there's that term again. We always got to bring that up with independent films. And it looks pretty good. Dot, dot, dot. For the budget. <laughs> and it does have some legitimately funny bits. As I said, it, it did amuse me when I was watching it. But I have to say that it definitely gave me a form of cinematic whiplash. Coming after uh, Rago, King of the Sea Monsters, which was did have some attempts at comedy, but was actually more of a serious, straightforward story. Uh, so keep that in mind. I mean, if you, I think if you if you liked Rago, I don't know, you, you may like Raga, you may not. I think it's just go into it knowing it's a comedy and not a serious film, and I think you'll you'll probably do okay. If you're listening to this show, you at least have some, I'm assuming, some interest in, in Japanese giant monsters. So if you uh, if, if you check that out. Just know that it's a uh, uh, a comedy, and I think you'll be okay going in. So if you would like to own Raiga, uh, now if you want to get that special edition Blu-ray or VHS, you got to buy that directly from SRS. So go to their website, which is srscinema.com. SRS has been putting out a lot of these independent, low-budget tokusatsu films over the last few years. Uh, they put out Attack of the Giant Teacher. They just put out War of the God Monsters. They had the big release with Howl from Beyond the Fog. We talked about that here uh, on the on the show a few months back. Uh, so go to their website. They still have those Blu-rays and uh, DVD. Uh, excuse me, Blu-rays and VHS tapes available. Uh, if you would prefer to get the regular edition DVD, that you can get at Amazon. Uh, so you can check any regular retailer and find that one. I know that they were in stock at Walmart for quite a while. Uh, I saw it at Walmart myself. I don't know if that's still the case. You know, their uh, local stock will vary on that one. There also is a double feature DVD with both Rago and Raiga on uh, on one set. I don't know if it's a double-sided disc. I'm assuming it's a double-sided disc. But if you if you missed uh, Rago, you can get both of them and for the price of about getting... It, it's... When I was looking at it, I think the DVD was $9.99 and the double feature was $19.99. So it's a... About the same price to get each of them, uh, you know, or just get one of them, whichever, you know, works better for you. But, uh, hey, if this sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. It's a very, that DVD was pretty easy to find for a while. I'm sure you could find it on Amazon. And uh, then, of course, you could always get that special edition or the VHS. I do like that. I will, as an aside, I do like that SRS has been doing some stuff with VHS. I admit I have not pulled the trigger on any of those because I'm more of a vintage VHS guy. But, you know, we always talk about like VHS horror, right? That was a big thing, VHS horror. And it still is, and legitimately so, because horror was a big genre on VHS. But, you know, Monsters had a quite a lot of attraction on VHS as well. I have a lot of classic Godzilla movies on VHS and those classic VHS tapes that I had as a kid. 
and uh, I really enjoy them. So I, I've, I've looked at those, uh, those SRS VHSs on more than one occasion and thought, hmm. So you never know. I might, uh, there might be one coming down the pike at some point that'll, uh, will break my, uh, my resolve and we'll add one to the collection, but it hasn't done that yet. So, uh, have you folks, let me throw the question out to you, the listener. Have you seen Raiga, God of the Monsters? What did you think? Did the comedy work for you? Did it not work for you? Were you disappointed expecting a serious movie and getting a comedy? Uh, and you know, what, what, what did you like? Not like, I want to have a discussion about this because that to me is the fascinating parts of these movies like this, where it's atypical from, you know, either a monster on the loose or a, you know, battle of the monsters type of situation that we sometimes get pigeonholed into with these films, at least, you know, from a, a broad standpoint, obviously not, uh, we, we genre fans know that that's not the real way the genre works, but, uh, comedy is, is a hard thing and comedy doesn't always work for everyone. So if you've seen Raiga and have an opinion, I would love to hear from you. Earth Destruction Directive at yahoo.com. Send it in. We will talk about it here on the show. All right. That's about all I've got for Raiga. And uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to finish up the show here on Earth Destruction Directive. Great comics come in all shapes and sizes. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Digest Cast, a new show dedicated to our beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 70s and 80s. Hosted by the Fire and Water podcast team of Robin Shag, and we'll be joined from time to time by special guests. It's Digest Cast, because big things come in small packages. Coming soon to the Fire and Water podcast network. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. And now it's time for a little bit of listener feedback. If you would like to get in touch with the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com and we will read your email and talk about it here on the show. We've got quite a lot of email in the uh, in the email inbox because we've done... Uh, all the episodes with my brother where we didn't get to do feedback. So we're going to we're gonna eat this elephant one bite at a time. Just going to start at the beginning and uh, work through them. And I promise we will get to each and every piece of feedback. So thank you for everyone who has, uh, who has submitted feedback. And please continue to do so. I really do appreciate it from every listener. So let's get to our first email. It is from longtime loyal listener Rich S. And Rich writes, hi Luke. I need to let you know that I've been really excited to give a listen to the many Earth Destruction Directive podcasts you have released lately. My favorite episodes are always the Showa kaiju films, Ultraman, and comic book ones, and you have not disappointed. Well, thank you very much, Rich. I appreciate that. We Stay tuned to the end of the episode. I think you'll like our next one. May I suggest a kaiju movie to review? Somewhere in my basement is a giant monster book I made while in kindergarten called Album of Monsters. Every several years, I still run across it when I straighten things out downstairs. Within its pages are the giant ants from Them, the Black Scorpion, Godzilla, Giant Condor, Rodan, and last but not least, the giant space chicken lizard bug monster, Giala. Few monsters freaked out my developing brain more than the X from Outer Space Creature. The thing just looked darn weird with its lasagna-covered arms and legs, bug eyes, and antenna. That, and he had some kind of suction cup thingy on his head. Long story short, recently I found the Blu-ray of the movie for sale online. I have the Criterion DVD from years ago, 
but just had to get the Blu-ray to see if it had the same English dub I remember from the VCR tape version. Well, it happens to be the same dub from the Criterion, but at least I have some lovely classic kaiju artwork to gaze at on the cover. Plus, the disc itself looks like a space bore. He cometh from foam, he returneth to foam. Looking forward to more podcasts in the near future. Loyal listener, Rich S. Rich, first off, thank you very much for emailing in. Secondly, um, yeah, the extra matter space, believe it or not, I've had another podcaster reach out to me and express interest in doing the extra matter space. It actually came in, uh, this email came in a few months ago, and I'm sorry it's taken me so long to get to it, but in between you sending this email uh, and now when I'm recording this, I, I said, did have another podcaster reach out to me and express interest in covering the extra matter space. So I am happy to give breaking news that the extra matter space is penciled in to be covered this year on Earth Destruction Directive, probably in the fall, maybe into the winter time frame. Uh, but we will be getting to that. Uh, that is one that, you know, I remember seeing a clip of it on some show somewhere when I was a kid, but I had never seen it. And it is a strange, strange movie. So uh, I am excited to take a look at that um, and, and, and talk about it here on the show. So I am I'm glad you made that suggestion because that kind of planted the idea in my head. And then, as I said, the, uh, this, this other podcaster reached out to me. And it's like, okay, well, that's two things. That's got to be a sign, right? So uh, that means that we, we have to cover it if we have uh, all these signs starting to point that way. So I appreciate it, and please look forward to that. And as I said, I based on your feedback, I think you'll like what we're covering in our next episode as well. So very much appreciate it, Rich. Thank you very much for writing in, and please continue uh, listening and sending in feedback, because it is very much appreciated. Our next email is from my good friend, Mr. Adam Tebow. And it is entitled Godzilla 2014. And Adam writes, Hey, Luke. I was just listening to you and Jay talk about Godzilla 2014, and I had a couple of random thoughts. Your comments about nuclear power plants reminded me of the new Superman and Lois series on the CW, which, uh, as an aside, if you're not watching, that is a very good series. I've enjoyed that as I'm recording this. It's just come back from hiatus, and I'm uh, excited to get back into that. Uh, Adam continues, in the first episode, Superman saves a nuclear power plant from a, quote, Fukushima-level event. It made me think about how earlier shows would have used Chernobyl, or Three Mile Island, as a disaster shorthand. I guess it goes to show how rare... Excuse me. I guess it goes to show how these rare disasters stick in the public consciousness like that. Absolutely. And I remember that reference, because it does uh, start at a a nuclear power plant. And uh, it's very... I like that scene. Again, I, I'm always uh, a little partial, I guess, to, to the depiction of nuclear power, given my background uh, and the type of jobs that I've worked on. So I, I, I agree with you on that one. And now we do say that we say Fukushima because I guess it's such a, um, you know, it, it's more timely, right? And so that's uh, it's more of an updated reference. I don't know necessarily that, like, my kids' generation are just going to necessarily know outside of a, you know, really know what Chernobyl or Three Mile Island is, but they'll probably be more familiar with Fukushima just when they're learning it in school. Adam continues, my other thought was about the, quote, first Brian Cranston experience discussion. While I, like Jay, automatically associate him with the dad on Malcolm in the Middle, my first experience with him was as an actor was actually in Babylon 5. He guest stars as a ranger who has to lead his ship on a suicide mission to convince the bad guys the false information his ship is carrying is genuine, to lead them into a trap. Now, see, I've never watched Babylon 5. I know everybody's gasping, you know, the pearls are being clutched. 
Hashtag clutch them pearls. But uh, no, never seen Babylon 5. So uh, I it, it, I know it's got a high recommendation from you, from Andrew Lane and a few others. But uh, that's cool. I didn't realize he was on that show. That's uh, just one more, one more uh, nerd thing I guess he's done there. Very neat. Uh, Adam continues, of course, I also heard him as the voices of Mighty Mor- on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but I had no idea he was involved in that show until recently. Anyway, I hope you and the listeners enjoyed that little foray into my chaotic brain. Keep them stomping. Adam Tebow. Adam, thank you very much for writing in. And yeah, you know, it's funny. We, we associate certain actors with certain things just because of how we're exposed to them, right? And, and when we first meet them. And, uh, and we, and we keep those connections even going forward. You know, uh, one, um, that, uh, that I always kind of, you talk about, uh, Brian Cranston as a dad of Malcolm in the middle, um, Rain Wilson, you know, a lot of people know him from the office. Well, I never watched the office. He's always to me, fish boy from house of a thousand corpses. And that's just because that's what I was introduced to him as, you know, or, uh, you know, there, I, I'm, there's all sorts of ridiculous uh, examples like that. But that's neat that you think of, that made the connection between Babylon 5. I think that show's on HBO Max now, isn't it? I think, I think you might have been telling me that. I may have, to, may have to finally sit down and check that out, you know, and I'm caught up on all the other stuff that I've uh, said I'm supposed to be uh, – I'm supposed to catch up on, right? Well, Adam, thank you very much for writing in. Really appreciate it. Adam, of course, a very good, very dear friend of mine, IRL, but also a, uh, uh, you know, a, it's funny because, uh, Adam is, uh, is one of the most, uh, enthusiastic and knowledgeable tokusatsu fans that I know. Um, but it's all relatively late coming. You know, uh, it was, uh, he was not so much a tokusatsu fan until, uh, myself and our friend, our mutual friend, uh, Joe, who um, you've heard over on Get Back to the Wrestling, we kind of put him on a little bit to some of this stuff, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So now I can always count on him uh, for, for tokusatsu stuff like that. Uh, so uh, thank you very much, Adam, for writing in, and I uh, hope you continue to uh, listen to the show. All right, our next email is from Richard Jordan. And uh, Richard writes in, says, A new letter to the podcast. And Richard writes, I have been, quote, in the middle of your review of the 2014 Godzilla for a week now. And although that doesn't sound complimentary, I'm really enjoying it and squeezing it in in 10-minute segments on my lunch breaks. I heard you comment at how you aren't a big fan of Cloverfield. I really enjoy hearing that podcast episode. I'd also love to hear what your thought of thoughts about Rampage and maybe others. Stomp on Richard. And, um... <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I'm going to potentially want to cover Cloverfield. I may have to at some point. I'm, I'm really, you know, I don't, I don't know. Cloverfield has always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And so maybe I need to revisit it to re- readdress my biases, perhaps. And uh, Rampage, Rampage is on my watch list. I, I, my kids keep bugging me to watch it, and we haven't watched it because I haven't sat down with it, to be completely honest. And, uh, you know, I like The Rock, generally. You know, I, I like the game. So I, I do want to watch it, and I and I think once we do, once I do, uh, you know, watch that one with the family, we will cover that here on the show. So I look forward to that one, Richard, for sure. I think we will get to Rampage probably sooner rather than later. And we still have a few more. Right, let's do one more email. This is a fairly short episode, so we'll do one more, and then we'll we'll call it a day for now, and then we'll pick up some more of these as we go forward. So our our last email is from John the Engineer, the Engineerd. It's Engineer and Nerd all running together. And uh, John's uh, email is entitled, King of the Monsters episode. Ah, so we're past Godzilla 2014. And uh, John writes, Hey Luke, I just wanted to reach out and say thanks for t- the Road to Godzilla vs. Kong series. Kind of like Jason, these two titans of film are only on the perimeter 
of my normal viewing. I'm going to stop you right there, John. Um, King Kong is not on the perimeter of Jay's normal viewing. I would say that my brother is one of the biggest King Kong fans I've ever met. And Kong, he's always been a Kong guy. You know, there's just less Kong to consume than Godzilla. Jay is, you know, a lot of people sometimes assume that with us being brothers that Jay and I are, are always into the same things. And we are often. And we both do love monsters. But Japanese giant monsters has always been my thing. But that's not to say that my brother doesn't like giant monsters or to say that my brother is not a King Kong fan. Because my brother, again, being a New York guy and all that, King Kong has always held a, a big a big spot uh, for my brother. So just just want to put that out there so we're all, everybody's on the same page. Uh, but John says, uh, John continues, I should say, uh, these two titans of film are only on the perimeter of my normal viewing. So it was nice to be able to see, excuse me, let me try that again. So it was nice to be able to wade into the fray with your show. Since you were covering these, I've watched Godzilla King of the Monsters, Godzilla Raids Again, Yangari, and Destroy All Monsters. It's been a fun ride and realize I don't remember these as well as I thought I did from when I was a kid. You know, that's true. You know, your mind remembers certain aspects of them. And Jay talks about this a lot over on the vault or on the uh, bots, bugs, and babes. Sometimes we misremember, right? Air quotes up to the mic, misremember. We conflate different movies together because maybe we watch them close to each other and, are, you know, we, we don't quite remember them exactly. I'm as guilty of that as anybody. Uh, but, yeah, it is fun to revisit those things sometimes and say, wow, I didn't remember that at all. As you were describing the base, I'm guessing he means uh, Castle Bravo, I was thinking about the similarities to the base in Destroy All Monsters. And that's true. There's a really nice HQ in Destroy All Monsters, isn't there? Always count on uh, some Japanese science fiction for an HQ. You know, I always love a good HQ. That, that's that's uh, that's one of my things. I guess you know, growing up in the 80s with like Castle Grayskull and the Terrodrome and, you know, stuff like that, bases, headquarters, right? That That's, that's always a cool thing for me. Uh, John continues, the other thing that struck me was the analogy to wrestling that Jason used. I only know wrestling from collateral sources. I've never really watched wrestling. I blame a brutal six-week experience with wrestling in junior high gym class. Anyway, I saw a similar analogy with tokusatsu and some anime shows. As Derek and Mike at Fanholes often point out, shout out to the Fanholes, the hero often has a bad turn with the big bad before somehow receiving a power-up for round two power. Common Rider, for example, typically goes through a couple of forms before his final henshin in the last battle. The flow of King of Monsters and the general outline you described really reminded me of a toku film. Thanks for the great series, John. Well, John, first off, thank you very much for your kind words and for writing in. I am glad that my brother and I were able to do The Road to Godzilla vs. Kong because there were some tight times on the on the schedule to get all those done and out and, and recorded, especially since, you know, they ended up being uh, quite lengthy. But uh, but I'm glad that, I'm glad you appreciated it. I've been getting generally positive feedback about that series, and a lot of that, I think, goes to my brother, too. So a big shout-out to my brother Jason uh, for, for all he does for the show that you guys never really know about all the uh you know the discussions and behind the scenes stuff but uh but to, to get back to your to your point here you know it's true it's it's the same type of approach you know wrestling and any other type of longer form storytelling uses a lot of these tropes and we see it here in these films where it's a series of films building up to it right but your connection to like say common rider or the super sentai or an anime uh, show is is valid as well. Now, part of this is commercial, right? Part of this is on the the tokusatsu side is to sell toys, right? If we give Common Rider several forms, 
then we can sell several toys to to the kids, right? Or kids, Eric what's up to the mic, kids, because, you know, we, we get those <coughs> adult collectors too, right? So you can sell, you know, to sell toys, right? That That's part of it. But part of it also is that it's like Eric Bischoff always talks about, it was Sarsa, right? So we have to have, you know, story and action, you know, um, reality, surprise, and anticipation, Right. So we, if we have surprise when the, the big bad is able to t- lay the hero low, the hero that's been able to overcome all these threats so far, we have surprise and now we have anticipation. What's going to happen? He's, how's he going to come back? And then we can get, you know, surprise again when he gets a new form or some new power up and, and it builds that anticipation week to week. And so when you have any type of long form story like that, you lean on these storytelling tropes and, you know, and, and Bischoff will be the first one to tell you that he didn't invent this. He just kind of, this is just the way he codified it in his mind when he was forced to do it. And, you know, it, I, I say it all the time over on get back to the wrestling. It's not rocket science. It's pro wrestling, you know, storytelling like this, where you have two forces fighting you know, this, this is the way you do it and, and you have to build up to it. And, and, you know, you've got to, uh, you know, put, make sure that your, your antagonist seems completely, you know, unbeatable so that when the hero finally does beat him, it's that, that carthritic release from the audience that they have, are so invested in seeing their hero overcome the villain that when he finally does it, they feel this euphoric sense come over them. And, and Godzilla versus Kong is being a very special case when you got, you know, two, popular guys you know there's not a clear-cut hero and villain here it's two as we would say in wrestling two baby faces so i I appreciate that that you liked that and i'm glad that jay and i were both again mostly my brother were able to really express and convey that because i think that kind of approach to the storytelling really informed what they were doing with godzilla versus kong and for me personally it helped with my appreciation and enjoyment of the film so thank you very much, John, for writing in, and I uh, hope you continue to enjoy the show and uh, hope to hear from you again in the future. Now, I've got, let's see, I've got one, two, three, four. I've got at least four emails that I can see. Some of these Yahoo's kind of bunching some of them together at the moment. So we will get to more of those next time. And I, as I said, I really appreciate everybody writing in and all the feedback. We've gotten some great feedback on social media. Way too many names to list on the last four episodes. So I'm just going to put a blanket statement. If you liked and retweeted or uh, shared the show on Facebook and Twitter, I really appreciate that. I, I really do because that really helps get the word out. And I love seeing that stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they say one of the, the best ways to to get your show out there and get any of your, your creative endeavors out there is word of mouth. And that's like word of mouth nowadays, right? Is is you guys and gals out there, you know, spreading the word of Earth Destruction Directive on social media. And I really, really appreciate that. Furthermore, I would like to say, and, and I've had a few people um, mention this to me, either through DMs or in group chats and stuff, that once again, I'd like to let everybody know that Earth Destruction Directive is for everybody. If you are, you know, if some part of the Daikaiju genre, the Daikaiju scene, if you will, uh, brings you joy, then you're welcome to be a part of this show and discuss and engage with me and the rest of the listeners and that uh, all are welcome here on Earth Destruction Directive. I think we have seen in this fandom, we've seen some lows, some really low lows, and we've seen some, we've seen some pretty high highs too, to be completely honest with you. I've seen some things coming out of the release of Godzilla versus Kong, some, some, you know, not necessarily every interaction, but I've seen some really positive fan interactions and fans, you know, really just sh- showing their, 
love and appreciation for this genre and engaging with others. And, and I hope that I can see that trend continue. You know, I've been accused of being too positive and, and I'll, I'll eat that. I'll, I will, I will take that on the chin every time. If I am too positive about things, well, then maybe it's because the rest of the world is being too negative. And this is something that I love and really, you know, care for. And it's a part of me, uh, this fandom of giant monsters. And if that means I can celebrate it and, and be positive about it and speak kindly about others about it, uh, you know, then then so be it, and I'll I'll take that one uh, every day. So if you want to be part of Earth Destruction Directive, you are welcome to interact with us however you feel comfortable. Now, always we have to ask the question, what is next? And I, I made the point that you know Rich said that he really liked the Showa Godzilla, and he really liked Ultraman, he really liked comic books. So. Um, what do we have coming up on the next episode? Well, next time we are going back to the Showa era, but we're going to the Showa era of Ultraman. That's right, we are back in the original 1966 run of Ultraman for the next two episodes, episodes 26 and 27. But not just any two episodes, dear listener. Oh no. Episodes 26 and 27 are a two-parter. It is the Prince of Monsters, parts one and two, introducing the longtime fan-favorite monster, Gomera. I am very much looking forward to this. You know, I was I knew I would have to uh, do a uh, probably have to do a, a one part episode in order to make sure this lined up and then it worked out that my home is earth came before the prince of monsters so I could do my home is earth as a standalone episode and that way get on where we have the even episode first and the odd episode second so that's going to be uh, prince of monsters is going to be talking about uh, our topic of discussion I should say on our next episode of course we'll have uh, news and we'll have your feedback and anything else that uh, that we we can cram on into the episode thank you everyone for downloading and listening I hope you enjoyed today's episode taking a look at Raiga God of the Monsters and I hope everybody comes back for uh, two more episodes of Ultraman, introducing Gomera. Everybody loves Gomera. You know, he's a, he's a popular dude. Heck, he was a he was a star of a series, essentially, right? Ultra, Ultra Galaxy Mega Monster Battle. I mean, Gomera was the top guy. So, uh, anyway, that's all I've got, folks. Please send in your email, EarthDestructionDirective at Yahoo.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Just listen to the outro to the show. Thank you again for downloading and listening. Please come back next time for Ultraman featuring Gomera. And until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you would like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for first name Luke, last name EDD. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Just search for the handle at LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin McLeod downloaded from 
Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF (laughs) moment if I ever saw one.